Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 this morning, we continue on in our sermon series entitled, More Than a Name. More Than a Name. Today, whether you're watching from the Community Life Center across the sidewalk there, or you're watching from home or wherever you're at right now, or here in the worship center, God is calling us to understand and identify the fact that being a Christian is more than just a title and a name. In our country today, 65% of the population self-identify as a Christian. Many of them refer to themselves as Christians because they have grown up in a conservative culture. Perhaps they went to a vacation Bible school when they were a child. Perhaps they've been to some sort of evangelistic crusade. Maybe they've even prayed a prayer with the preacher they heard on television. So for those reasons, they say, yes, I am a Christian. But, but the question that I'm causing us to really consider this morning and throughout the series is this. If we as a nation are truly Christian, then why does our land and why do our laws not better reflect Jesus? Why are we constantly redefining things and changing things based upon our cultural whims and the pressures of the day instead of based upon the authority and the instruction of God's word? But maybe the question is not so much a question about our land as much as it is even about the church. If even in the church today, the big C church, we proclaim to be Christians, then I would wonder today, then, then what are we doing to help the poor? What are we doing to minister to the orphans and to the widows and those in society who have been forgotten and rejected? And in other words, the question is, are we truly Christians or are we simply that by title and by name? If we're truly Christians, for example, then why do we not meet together on a consistent basis? Instead, we come together only when it's convenient. If we're truly Christians, how is that demonstrated in our life? If we're truly Christians, why are we content on being served instead of giving our life in service to the Lord and to others? The fact of the matter is today is that there's more to being a Christian than simply identifying ourselves as a Christian. In fact, did you know in Acts chapter 11, the very first persons to use the term Christian were not Christians at all. In other words, the idea of being a Christian didn't come from the church, it came from the world. And the worldly culture in the city of Antioch in Acts chapter 11 looked at the believers in Jesus in Acts chapter 11 and they saw their faithfulness to God's word, their study of God's word. They saw the way they fellowshiped together. They saw the way they loved each other. They saw the way their lives had been changed. And the watching world looked at this group of people and called them Christians. The word Christian is an interesting word. We understand that it comes from two different words. The first word is the word Christ, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. But then there's a suffix at the end of that. It's not just Christ, it is Christian. At the end of Christ, there is a three-letter phrase, three-letter suffix. It's, it's I-A-N or E-N, Christian. That suffix, I-A-N, literally means relating to, belonging to, or resembling, relating to, belonging to, or resembling. 
So to be a Christian, it means literally that we belong to Jesus, we are in relationship with Jesus, and thus our life becomes a reflection of him to the world. And so as the world's watching us, here's the question. Does the world see that you belong to Jesus? Oh, many in the world say, oh, well, they go to church and they do these good things and they're a decent neighbor, but do they see that you belong to Jesus? Do they see that you are in relationship with Jesus? Maybe the better question would be, in your house, on your street, in your workplace, in your school, do you resemble Jesus? There's more to being a Christian than just a name. And today we come to 1 John chapter 2, where once again, God is calling us to recognize that there's more than just a name. And specifically, knowing Jesus is all about walking in the light. This morning, I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, and I'm preaching on the subject, walking in the light. How can you know that you know that you know? You are genuinely a believer, a follower of Jesus. And the simple answer is this. The evidence of that will be this. You will be walking in the light. If you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as we begin 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 and following. John says this, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the time that we had together right now. God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts and lives. Lord, if we are not in a right relationship with you, may today be the day that you convict us of sin, draw us to that relationship today. And today, may we repent of our sin and be gloriously changed and set free. And I pray it all for Jesus' sake, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Walking in the light. Many people identify themselves as Christians because they have some sort of knowledge or even understanding, perhaps, of God. They'll say, well, I'm not perfect, but I know that God is always near. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but I remember praying to God many years ago. One time I made this deal with God and God came through, and so therefore I think God and I are good. But there's more to knowing God than just understanding that he is good and understanding that he is there and understanding that he has blessed you in your life. There are some intentional things that we need to do. Specifically, we're going to see that in this text uh, to how, understand how we can walk in the light. Now, John starts off the emphasis of walking in the light in a very interesting way. It almost sounds like a contradiction. And he starts off and he says, listen now, beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. And what he's getting to is he's getting to the commandment to love God and to love others. Jesus was one day asked, teacher, tell us what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
In other words, that old commandment that we've had from the very beginning is that we're to love God supremely and we're to love others sincerely. John says, now I want you to know, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment, actually. You know this, you've heard this, you know that you're to love God above everything else and you're to love others as well. But then he says in verse uh, nine, of something interesting. He says, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. Now this sounds very weird. What's he saying? This is not new as in recent. This is not new as in a new, uh, you know, a, a brand new thing that you're learning. It's new as an application. What John is saying is this, you understand the call to love God. You understand the call to love your neighbor, but Jesus has come to teach us a new way of how to love. In fact, that's why he says here in verse eight, and this new commandment is true in him. What he's saying is the way that God has called us to love is fully embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. You wanna know how to love what God is desiring of us in the way that we love God the Father and the way that we love one another? Here's what you do. You look at Jesus. This new way of love, this new sacrificial love, this new faithful, loyal, committed, sincere, honest, compassionate, merciful, this new love is fully embodied in Jesus Christ. Truth be told, we could study through the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we would see evidence of that galore. We would see that as he's patient with Peter. We would see that as he goes to doubting Thomas and shows compassion and shows kindness. We would see that even when he's dealing with situations like the woman who was caught in adultery, like the Pharisees who continually rejected him and tried to trip him over and over and over again, like the woman at the well. He was stern, yes, he was filled with truth, yes, but he was filled with compassion, grace, mercy, and kindness. He was so gentle that he would hold the children in his arms as he would bless them. He was so generous that the lad that would provide his, his fish and his loaves would go home that day with 12 baskets full. He was so kind and so loving with every single encounter. We're not arguing the fact that Jesus embodies love. But there's an interesting statement that John says. This new way of love is true in Jesus and in you. The same love that is portrayed through the life and the sacrificial faithful actions of Jesus are to be true in those who profess to be followers of Christ. In other words, John's basically saying it this way. If you claim to be a Christian, but don't have the love of God in and through your heart, you're deceiving yourself. So the question for us today is simply this. How do we love? Do we love like Jesus. Loving others like Jesus means that we are willingly giving ourselves for the glory of God and for the good of others. But it's from that moment on, John kind of gets away a little bit from the subject to now begin talking about walking in the light. Someone say, well, why is this the case? Why does John talk about love and then he immediately goes to this conversation about light and darkness? And I think here's the simple reason why. You and I do not grow in loving like God by simply trying to love more and more. If we are merely pursuing love, what will largely happen is we will try to muster up our own strength and we will begin to depend upon the various expressions of love that we see in the world today. But here's what John understood. There is no way that you will love like Jesus unless you are in relationship with Jesus. 
There's no way you're gonna love your spouse like Jesus unless you're in relationship with Jesus. There's no way you're gonna love your brothers and sisters in Christ unless you're in relationship with Jesus. There is no way you're gonna love the dark, fallen, hopeless world the way that God calls us to unless you are in a relationship with Jesus. And so John begins to then point us to, now here's how you love like the Lord calls us to. You walk in the light. It is all about a relationship with Christ. So how do we walk in the light? And how does that impact our lives today? I want you to see three things from 1 John chapter 2 in our time together. The first thing I want you to see loud and clear this morning is the person of light. The person of light. The Bible tells us today that we live in a dark and fallen world. In fact, the Bible would describe it simply in this way. We understand that as we look throughout our world today, we see sin and we see chaos and we see confusion and we see wars and we see disease and we see death and we see destruction of all kinds. We see it all. And the Bible just calls it all darkness. And the Bible tells us that you and I were born into this dark fallen world. In other words, you were not naturally born into the light. You were not naturally born into a relationship with God. Every single one of us were born with a fallen nature in a fallen world. Somebody says, but pastor, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents baptized me when I, baby. My, when I was a baby. My daddy was a, my daddy was a deacon. My grandmama was a, was a missionary. And my great-grandfather was a preacher. And, and I remember saying this situation. And I remember being these different experiences in my life. And I went to a class when I was 13. But none of us were naturally born into the light. We were born with a fallen sinful nature into a fallen, darkened world. But in the midst of that, God has made a way for you and I to experience eternal life and to experience forgiveness and to literally be transferred from darkness to the kingdom of light. Here's what John says in this verse of scripture in verse eight. He says, I want you to know that darkness is passing away. It has an expiration date. It will not last forever because the true light is already shining. Please understand that when John said this, John was referring to a person. He's referring to the person of Jesus. John isn't talking about a vision. He's not talking about a movement. He's not talking about a trance. He's not talking about some spiritual sense of enlightenment or any other new age thinking. When he says the light is already shining, he is saying, I want you to know Jesus came to be the light of the world. You can walk in light and not walk in darkness. The light is a person. Illustrations told of a little boy one day, he'd been going to his class at church and he was so excited that they were gonna put on a play one day before the entire church. And he was excited for the play and then he was even more excited when he found out that he got to be Jesus in the play. This little boy was excited. He had one line to learn and that one line to learn was from John chapter eight. He was gonna come onto the scene as Jesus in the play and he was gonna say, I am the light of the world and if you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness. He was so excited for his part and he was memorizing his line. He, he got his little costume and everything was good to go and finally the day came for their big performance and his big role to be Jesus in the church play. And sure enough, he was waiting back scene for his point and finally the time came, he rushed out to the scene and he's ready for his line to say that he's Jesus, he's the light of the world. And suddenly when he looked at the lights and looked at all the crowd like I'm looking at you right now, suddenly he forgot his line. Ever been there before? Completely forgot his line. And he's looking around wondering, he's getting nervous. He's beginning to move his hands around and finally his mama from the third row said, I am the light of the world. 
And he looked with satisfaction. He nodded his head and he said out loud with confidence, my mama is the light of the world. (laughs) He was a little confused, but he was right that light's a person. Jesus is that light that came into this world. In fact, did you know that every time the Bible speaks about his coming into this darkened world, it speaks of it in terms of light. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, 2, and 6. He said this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah's looking at the dark world and saying, listen, when it's dark and when it's hopeless, when people are lost in their sin, God's going to speak and bring the light of the world. 400 years before the birth of Christ, God would go silent. There was no fresh word. There was no specific prophet. And the people were wandering literally in darkness. They had no hope. They didn't know where God was. Would God ever move again? Would God ever speak again? Or were they hopelessly lost in their darkness? And the Bible tells us that God broke the silence when he sent the angel to speak to the Virgin Mary. And there in her womb, God brought life. Listen to how John records the birth of Jesus in John chapter one, verse nine. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus came into this world to bring light into this world, but not only into the world in general, but into your heart and into your soul and into your mind so that you might experience life through him. No wonder Jesus in John chapter eight would look at a religious crowd who frankly, because of their own self-righteousness and their own legalistic standings would think they were just fine. Little did they realize they had deceived themselves into thinking that they were right with God. Even though they looked outwardly good, they were in spiritual darkness and without relationship with God. And Jesus looked and said in John chapter eight, verse 12, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. The person of light, he is the source. And the fact of the matter is today, so many of us live our life, we get busy and we get caught up and we get distracted. We live our life from one experience to the other. Some of them are even religious experiences and we think we're fine and we think we're good. But the fact of the matter is, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not called upon him to save you and forgive you of your sins, you are hopelessly lost in darkness until you come to faith in him. And many go to church every single week, many hear sermon after sermon, assuming they are fine without realizing the darkness and the danger that they are in. I remember being in middle school many years ago, many, many years ago. And I remember a church group being at a camp and I remember there was excitement and there was joy and people looking forward to that whole experience. And there was a, this camp was out in the woods and I remember there was a group of girls. They, they, they were excited about some things and they were living life, they were kind of living life to the fullest and they wanted to pull a prank on some guys. And so, so to pull this prank off, they began to turn off their flashlights and wander through the woods because they were gonna, they were gonna pull off this prank and they were laughing and cutting up and carrying on. But the problem is they were walking in the darkness. And they weren't aware of the danger at hand. 
And as they made their way to live out this prank, completely unaware of really what was around them, they walked into something. One of the girls experienced something and she screamed and she cried out and they assumed that they had gotten into some sort of a thorn bush. And so finally the counselors ran and they got her and they rushed her off to the cabin and they put her there in the light and they took a washcloth and they wiped it away. And when they did, they found out she had been bitten by a snake three times. A timber rattlesnake that had 47 rattles on its tail. And I remember the panic and the hysteria. The entire camp went up in a riot. I mean, it was crazy as they rushed her in a car and began to rush her off an hour away towards the hospital. And God worked a miracle that night and spared her life. But the fact of the matter is there are many people living life up. It's one big party. It's one big excitement. They think they're fine. But because they do not know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, they're in a dangerous place. And if they were to die in that state, they would be eternally separated from God. And while that reality is sobering, I think probably one of the saddest realities is that many of, those, many of those people have opportunity after opportunity, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, where they know who the light is and yet they refuse him. There's a person of light and his name is Jesus. Secondly, there's a process of walking in the light. So how do we go from darkness to light? And what, does this pro, what is this process supposed to look like as we are walking in the light? Three things I want you to see this morning. The first is this, and I'm gonna kind of describe it in a process. The first is that we've got to receive Jesus. And the idea of receiving him is that we're receiving him not as a part of our life, as the side dish over here, but we're receiving him as the Lord and Savior. I love how John says it here in verse eight. He says, the true light is already shining. Now, if John was referring to something that happened in the past, he would have used past tense. He would have said, and the true light shone. If Jesus came, he lived, and then he died, that would be it. And John would say, hey, let me tell you about this guy that we walked with and talked with. He was with us, he was incredible, we experienced this, and he shone, period, finito, the end. That's not what he says. He says the true light is already shining. Interesting. In fact, the tense here is an ongoing, present, continuous action that the true light that shone in John's heart was then shining there and almost 100 AD is still shining today. John chapter one, verse nine. This is a light that came into the world and this light enlightens every man. In other words, Jesus didn't just come and live and die. He didn't just light, you know, kind of shed light into the world in which he lived. Jesus is still enlightening every man today. And that's why today you can be in a church service setting. A neighbor can come and share the gospel with you. You can turn on the television maybe and hear a message. Maybe you can even be listening to a song on the radio, but in all sorts of platforms and ways. That's why you can hear something. And when you hear it, you begin to realize a conviction of sin a conviction of a need for a savior, a conviction to that point where you look to Jesus and say, God, I, I've sinned against you. I, I have fallen short or God, I've sinned against you. I've become complacent along the way. Why? Because it's a present, ongoing, continuous action. Jesus is still shining to convict people of sin, to convince them of a need of her savior and to draw them to a relationship with him. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 36. He says, if I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about when he dies. If I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. 
while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. In other words, Jesus said, listen, I'm gonna draw all people to myself. I'm gonna work and I'm gonna move and I'm gonna convict and I'm gonna convince. Why? Because I want them to receive me as Lord. But the sad reality is this. No matter how many times people hear and no matter how clear the gospel may be, some of us will still harden our heart and simply refuse to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. John chapter one, that statement about Jesus enlightening every man, listen to how he followed it up in verses 10 through 12. It says this, Jesus is in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. John chapter three even tells us why. Here's what it says in verses 19 and 20. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Friend, Jesus has come into this world to be the light of the world, to shed light and life into our hearts and lives. But you and I must receive him. You were not naturally born into the kingdom of God but only by receiving, by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Question is, is this, have you received him? Have you received the light of the world? The second part of that process is receiving him, yes, but secondly, that there's also this process of relating to Jesus. See, in order for us to walk in the light, and in order for us to frankly experience the joy of that and the, and the blessing of seeing God work through our lives in that way, it's not just about a prayer that you prayed 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's not even about the prayer that you prayed yesterday. It's about an ongoing relationship with Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us here in the book of John, John uses two words to describe the importance of relationship. We saw one of them last week, and that is this. He uses the word abide, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. He used the word abide and the word for walk. Now the word abide literally means a connection. It's the same word that's used and the same image that's used of the vine and the branches that Jesus talked about last week. So there's a word of connection. We're in relationship with Jesus. It's a word of relationship. But then there's this word walk. The word walk is describing a lifestyle, it's describing a process, it's describing a continuation of relationship. I don't walk as much as I would like to. I need more exercise these days. But when I go for a walk, I like to walk with someone because I have conversation. It might be that I go on a walk with my daughters or I might go for a walk with my wife. It might be that I'm speaking with a brother in Christ about something. We say, hey, let's go for a walk. And what we're doing is this, we're having a relationship, we're having conversation, we're having communication. It's describing a progress that's taking place. When you're walking, you're not staying still. You're moving forward is the idea. And so what God is describing here is that yes, we experience a lot by receiving Jesus as the Lord and Savior, but the effect of, this, of that light is largely dependent upon our ongoing relationship with him. The Old Testament understood this. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 89, verse 15. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. Someone said, Pastor, man, I, you know, I know Jesus, but I'm just not walking, I don't have a lot of joy. My question is this, what's your relationship with the Lord like right now? Are you walking with Jesus? 
Because if you're walking with Jesus, no matter what you're facing going through, he's gonna give you a peace that passes all understanding and his joy will be working in and through your life. Isaiah chapter two, verse five. Isaiah, interestingly, looked at the Israelites, he looked at God's people and he understood the wickedness of their hearts and he understood the pressures of the world. And as a result of that, he knew that they would constantly be tempted towards idolatry. They'd constantly be tempted to go in their own direction. They'd be constantly tempted to turn away from loving God supremely and instead loving themselves. And listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah two, verse five. He said, come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. In fact, the context of that Hebrew is literally, let us come now. Quit dabbling in the things of the world. Quit turning to idolatry. Quit looking for cheap substitutes. Quit giving to complacency and apathy. Quit giving into the desires of your flesh. No, come now and let us get serious about this relationship of walking in the light of the Lord. The fact of the matter is this morning, when you and I believe in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we confess him to be our Lord, the light of all the world comes into our life. And he begins to shed his light in our life. And as he does, he convicts us of sin. He begins to mold us and shape us. And that sanctifying process begins to work itself in our life. And as we yield to him and as we surrender to him and as we obey to him, that light shines brighter in us, but also brighter through us. But if we refuse, oh, Lord, don't mess with that one. I don't want to repent of that one. Oh, Lord, I, I, I'm willing to obey you here, but I'm not willing to do this. As we begin to give into our flesh and our wants and our whims, over time, that light gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so what God is calling us to recognize today is simply this, just as a flashlight needs fresh batteries to provide charge, we need an ongoing relationship with Jesus and his word so that his light in us remains bright. Third is this, yes, we receive Jesus as Lord. Yes, we relate to Jesus like a friend, but third, we reflect Jesus to the world around us. This walking in the light is about receiving the light it's about walking in relationship with that light. But as we do, guess what happens? He begins to shine through us. We begin to reflect that light to the world around us. The purpose of possessing the light isn't merely for our fulfillment and enjoyment. It is for others that they too may come to know Jesus. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter five, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it on a basket, but he puts it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Jesus in John chapter eight says, I am the light of the world. But there in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. And so shine for all to see. A few weeks ago, I was at a local Christian school here in our community. And I'd been asked to come speak to the chapel services. They have uh, different elementary ages and they were kind of rotating between different groups because of the COVID uh, challenges and restrictions. And so I had the opportunity to speak. And so as I was speaking, I, because I'd been preaching through 1 John chapter one that we're gonna look at in a moment, I'd been really thinking a lot about the light, uh, God's, the description that God gives between light and darkness. And so I, I wanted to the Lord's put in my heart to preach a message about what it means to be the light. And so to kind of help me with this, I, got, I went to Lowe's and I bought the biggest flashlight I could find. 
preaching to children, I wanted an object lesson. And so basically as I was preaching, every time I would use the word light, I would turn that light on. Actually, it became a great illustration because the kids had no idea where the light was gonna shine. And within a few minutes, they kind of looked like cats. You know, like every time you turn the light, you know, back and forth with the light, it was awesome. And I'll never forget ending that chapel service. And we, I had about 15 minutes or so to hang out with the kids afterwards. And so I was just hanging out in the back. And so the principal said, hey, listen, if anybody has any questions, go talk to Pastor Matt. He'd love to talk to you. And this one little guy came up and, and I'm telling you, he, he was little. He was just a, just a kind of a smaller statured individual. And he's maybe five or six years old, maybe. And he comes up and he says, Pastor Matt. And so I get down, you know, on my knees so I can look at him. I'm like, yeah, buddy. And he said, I have a question. I was like, okay. And so I figured he was gonna ask me a question about my flashlight or, you know, something else. And he asked, this is his literal question, somewhere between five and six years old. Pastor Matt, if Jesus is the light of the world, how are we the light of the world? It's a good question for a five or six-year-old kid. I was like, you know what? Let me call one of our deacons. Maybe they'll have the answer. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm like, it's incredible, right? If, if Jesus is the light of the world, how, first off, I didn't say, and that, I was talking about how we're the light of the world, how we're to shine bright for all to see. If Jesus is the light of the world, how are we too light of the world? Like, how are we as Christians? And so I thought about like, how do I, how do I illustrate this for, for a young guy? And, 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 it just, and I just asked him, I said, well, do you ever look at the moon? Oh, yes, sir. Well, do you like it when the moon is like really big and full? Or do you like it when it's kind of like half full? Like, what do you, he's like, oh, I like it when it's big and full. So that's cool. Like, well, do you like it when it's like white looking or a little yellow? Or he's like, one time I saw it orange. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool, right? And so then I asked the question, well, do you know, do you know how much light the moon has? Oh, it has a whole lot because it's so dark. And I said, actually, it doesn't. The moon has no light of its own. The moon simply reflects the light from what? The sun, that's exactly right. And so as that moon is in direct relationship, so to speak, and connection with the sun, the moon nearly reflects that light for all of us to see at night. The fact of the matter is today, you and I as believers, it's not that we are the light. It's not that we have this great ability within us. Oh, look at myself. No, it's simply the fact of this. As we have relationship with the light of the world and connection with him, he simply shines in us so that he might shine through us for his glory. So when people see us, let it be the light of Christ they see, not our own self-righteousness, our own prejudice, our own pride, our own judgmental nature. Let it be Christ it's seen. We receive Jesus, the light of the world. We walk in relationship with Jesus, the light of the world. And the result of that is simply this, that we will reflect Jesus to the world around us. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, don't so prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as what? As lights in the world. So here's the question Where are you at in that process? Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? I'm not asking if you go to church. If you're religious, I'm not asking you how godly your grandparents were. Have you personally received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? P 
People will not see Jesus in you unless you are walking in relationship with him. And third, are you reflecting Jesus to the world? Third thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the proof of walking in the light. The proof of walking in the light. Once again, (laughs) three weeks in a row, John's like totally busting our chops here, okay? Here's what John's basically saying. 2021, he's saying, listen, talk is cheap. You can say that you love Jesus. You can say that you're a follower of him, but the proof is in the pudding. It's not about what you say. If what you say is true, it will be evident through your attitude, ambitions, and actions. So once again, John begins to give us a contrast between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. Walking in the light or walking in darkness. Experiencing eternal life or dead in our trespasses and sins. There's a contrast here. The last week I worded them as a series of tests. Maybe you remember that. I'm not gonna give them to you as tests today. I'm simply going to give you the contrast that he brings, the contradictions that he brings. And I'm gonna give you a question that I want you to try to answer today, okay? I know, another pop quiz, but you can handle it, all right? You got it. John says, now, here's the proof that you're walking in the light that you know Jesus is Lord and Savior. Number one, there will be love instead of hate. There will be love instead of hate. Verse nine, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Now, so here's the question. Do you love all others, keyword all others, in the body of Christ? Do you love all others in the body of Christ? Now, most will, of course, will say, well, of course, pastor, I love all people, but think about it seriously. What about the person that gets on your nerves? What about the person that you just can't ever seem to see eye to eye with? What about the person uh, that, that you've got that serious pet peeve towards? What about that person who challenges you? What about that person that looks differently? What about that person that has a different background, a different skin color? What about that person that helps you learn to pray more and more and more and more? What about that person? What about that person that you're holding a grudge against? What about that person that you uh, feel bitter towards? What about that person that you are wishing ill towards? What about that person that you're avoiding and intentionally distancing yourself from? Do you love all others in the body of Christ? We don't like to call it hate because it seems too strong a word, but many times our actions reveal the fact within our heart there is hate and there is disdain and there is rejection of others in the body of Christ. But if Jesus so loved us and if Jesus so loved his enemies and instructed us to do the same, then surely if the light of the world is living in us, then we will have love for our brothers and sisters. John says it simply, 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Please understand, light and love always go together just as darkness and hate always go together. There's love instead of hate. Secondly, there is selflessness instead of selfishness. There is selflessness instead of selfishness. 
Here's what he says in this passage of scripture. In verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, listen to this, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. There's no cause for stumbling in him. Now, please understand, John is not saying that the person who walks in the light is perfect. The person who walks in the light is perfect. They never do anything wrong. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, they're good to go. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. The person who walks in the light is not living their life for their own will, their own wants, and their own whims, but instead, they are intentionally living their life for the glory of God and for the edification and the good of others. Here's the question. Do you live your life according to your will or according to what is best for others? We live in a day-to-day in our culture where the entire voice of the culture says, have it your way, do what you want, it's your life, it's your body. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In other words, the person who's walking in the light is not looking out for, well, what is my right? What is my want? What do I feel like? What am I comfortable with? What am I not? Well, I'm not ever going to, no, no. The person who is walking in the light is looking to live their life continually for the glory of God and according to what brings edification and building up to others around them. And sadly, even in the church today, we often get so caught up in our rights that someone will say, well, I have liberty in Christ to do what I want to do. But can I say to you, If your Christian liberties are a stumbling block to others, then you have completely missed the point. Romans 14, 19 says it this way. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I love this statement. As children of God, We are called to be stepping stones that lead to the health and development of others, not stumbling blocks that lead to their hurt and destruction. So what is your goal? What are you living for? Are you living according to your personal rights and privileges or the well-being and building up of others for the glory of God? Third contrast. Is the contrast a spiritual development instead of decline? Here's what John says. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The picture that John is painting here is of someone who is walking in the darkness, stumbling around, fumbling around, bumping into things, no aim, no direction, no clarity, No discernment because they're not walking in the light. Here's the question. Are you closer to the Lord and stronger in your faith today than you were yesterday? Are you closer to the Lord and stronger in your faith today than you were yesterday? Oh, I'm walking in the light, preacher. Absolutely, I've been walking in the light for years and years and years and years and years. Are you closer to the Lord today than you were? This past week, I received a text. Um, I want to say it was Thursday 
Thursday afternoon, I received a text and it was from a number that I didn't recognize, and, and, but it was a Virginia number and the text just said, Pastor Matt, I've had you and your family on my mind all week. Just want you to know I'm praying for you all. I hope you all are well. A few years ago, I got a new cell phone and my old cell phone, the, the software was so old and outdated that when I got a new phone, none of my old contacts transferred over. That's how old that, that old thing was. But um, the bottom line is I didn't know who this was. And so I texted them back and said, thank you so much for praying for me. I'm, I welcome it all the time, but who in the world is this, you know? And the lady texted back. She was a lady who was a part of our senior saints ministry in Christiansburg for many years. And she told me her name. And as I thought about her, I thought about some of our many times of fellowship and ministry together in Christiansburg. And I, I thought about how a few years ago her husband passed away. And I thought about how she's still just faithfully serving the Lord, raising a daughter who has Down syndrome and um, so instead of texting her back, I just called her and uh, she said, hello. And just, you know, just hearing her voice was like hearing a loved one that I hadn't talked to in years. And, and I said, how are you doing? And, and then I asked the question, I said, how have you been doing through this pandemic? And she said, I, I feel guilty telling you this. I said, well, just tell me, how, how have you been doing this pandemic? She said, you know, she said, I have grieved for all those who've lost loved ones and for those who've experienced such heartache through this season. But she said, Pastor, it's probably been the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I didn't realize how complacent I had been and how much I had taken for granted the opportunity to have my time with the Lord. And she said, you know, when everything shut down, literally my whole life just stopped. And I was here in my living room and it was me and it was my daughter and it was the Lord and that was it. And she said, I picked up my Bible and I started reading and I started reading. And, 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 and then, I mean, for the next 15 minutes, she just talked. I mean, she just talked about what she'd been learning, what God had been doing and the questions that she had and the challenges. She, she, it, just, it just flowed out of her. You know what she didn't, re, she didn't realize she was giving me a good illustration for preaching this morning, but you know what she was saying? She was saying, Pastor, I've been walking with Jesus and God's been growing me and teaching me and developing me. And so even though what, this has been bad and it's been horrible and all these different things, my walk with the Lord has never been better. I'm so thankful for this. She's walking in the light. Final thing, and we're gonna wrap up is this. I want you to see the promise of walking in the light. The promise of walking in the light. Perhaps you're here today and you hear that message of love instead of hate and you just be honest and say, you know what? I don't know that I'd call it hate, but man, I've got a real beef with somebody. There's somebody I don't want to forgive. I don't want to let go of it. I've been holding on to it. And so every time I have the opportunity to see them, I run as far as I can. It could be somebody that's even passed away already. And yet you're still dealing with that bitterness and that resentment and that anger and all. And, it, and it's just eating you alive. Maybe you're here in that moment, you're like, man, I know that God wants to have a relationship with me. I know Jesus has done all that's possible, but, but I've been rejecting him and I've been turning to other things. I've been careless with my time. I've been complacent with what I'm doing. I've just, I've not been walking with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I, I haven't been living for God at all. I've been doing my own thing, partying, living it up, and yet I'm empty. What am I to do? Here's what you're to do. Today, today, you are to repent of your sin, which means that you are confessing it to God and you are turning from it 
because you're turning to Jesus to forgive you and set you free. John closes here in verse 12 for our time together today and he says this, I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. But I'm not good enough and I haven't done enough good works and I don't come from a Christian home and I haven't done all these different, no, no, no. You're not forgiven on the basis of what you've done, but on the basis of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. He died on the cross for all your sins that you could be forgiven and be cleansed. Well, how do we experience that? First John chapter one. Remember the first chapter that we read two weeks ago? Here's the way he says it in verse seven. If we walk in the light, as he himself was in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from what? All sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the question. Do you need God's forgiveness today? Whether or not you are or aren't, you can today be forgiven and you can walk in the light. And I pray that you'll say yes to him to do so. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.